0: Is It is not a joy to be here. In a whole lot of ways, it is a wonderful thing to have this opportunity. One of the good things about being in the ministry that long is that you keep learning new things. And one of the things that I have found great pleasure in learning is how God in His Word is pleased to weave wondrous points of His character and theology around the lives of real people. Real men who are just men, but their lives unfold something of the grandeur and the glory and the goodness of God. Some time ago I was blessed by thinking these thoughts in Jeremiah chapter 1. If you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1 as we come together. And again briefly, let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for the promises that attend this hour. Thankful for your presence. Thank you for the Holy Spirit's help among us. Thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you for the good intentions and the goodwill that you have for us. We thank you especially for unveiling yourself before us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Beginning in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Amathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, King of Judah until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Sounds like a lot of edification, doesn't it? It's almost like you read that and you go home and be at peace. But as you look at it, what you're looking at, I guess, is something of the settings of Jeremiah's ministry. And there are a couple of things that are kind of encouraging. Number one, I guess you can say he's a real person, he's got a father. He's got a profession, he is a priest, he's got a hometown, so he is a a real person. And we've got his dates here, uh, which especially stand out. Forty years of ministry, according to the dates, uh, beginning in the year about 626 B.C. and going on from there. But 40 years of ministry is a long time. And that's what we've got here, something of a retrospective. These verses were not written... The same day that verse 4 was in real in Jeremiah's life, the word of the Lord came to me saying, it didn't happen then. It came at the end. And looking back over 40 years of ministry, by the time you get down through the end of verse 3, Jeremiah is displaying for us something of a characteristic that I have come increasingly to love and appreciate the longer I'm in the ministry. And that is faithful perseverance. Forty years is a long time. He didn't fold. He didn't cave in. He didn't give up. He didn't run away. Stuck it out all the way until that time that is recorded there in verse 3. And it was not always easy. Because what we've got recorded here is not just history of times, dates, and names. It is something of a, a spiritual statement about those times in which he served. Those names that are listed there, he's got those kings that are listed there, they are not encouraging times. Josiah is a name that brings a lot of promise to our minds. You know, he had a great heart and a great spirit <clears throat> but the people never did seem to catch that spirit <clears throat> and all the reforms that he instituted seemed to vanish very very quickly and disappointment followed his name and then we got Jehoiakim that vassal of Egypt who became a vassal of Babylon Zedekiah the third son of Josiah to reign who oversaw the disaster that's recorded in verse 3 and basically down through here what you've got is disappointment that leads to decay, that leads to the final disaster. And these are the days of Jeremiah's perseverance. Not only that, all those hard times were followed by a hard job. We're taught down here in verse 5 that God ordained him to be a prophet during those times. That's a hard job during these days. He had to tell people all the truth. When you get down to verses like verse 16, He's got to tell them, it's all your fault. All this judgment is coming. And He was not well received. He was taught in verse 19 of this chapter that they're going to fight against you. And remember how that turned out. Chapter 12 records the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. says, even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Verse 18 it speaks about his enemies. Come, let us attack him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. Let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Ever feel like that in the ministry? You know how it worked out. He was accused. He was slandered. He was arrested. He was put in stocks. He was beaten. He was jailed. He was alone. And everything around him, and I am sure many things on the inside of him, said... What's the use? This is too hard. Why should we go through this? He even had a worse thing working for him. You can see in verse 6, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak, for I am but a youth. He had handy excuses. He lived in hard times. He had a hard job. He was surrounded with hard people. And he had excuses to quit. I am not fit for this. Not by nature, not by training, not by gift. I cannot do this. Probably if the Lord didn't interrupt him, he would have gone on with his excuses, much like Moses did. But the Lord didn't seem to be interested in excuses. And because of that, we get to read all the way down through verse 3, where he makes it clear to the end, because the excuses did not stand. He might have been able to squeak through verse 2. Serving as a prophet in the days of Josiah might have been somewhat easier. But he never would have got through verse 3. Not to the captivity of Jerusalem. When you read through verse 3, what we are reading there is not just the refusal of Jeremiah to cave in, not just the will to do hard work and to stay true. What we are reading there is the triumph of the grace of God. There are many reasons and opportunities, not only for Jeremiah, but for all of us to lay down and to roll over. And it doesn't necessarily mean you wake up on a Monday morning and write your resignation. There are many milder forms of quitting. We can avoid the hard tasks and the hard topics. We can find some kind of switch and switch on automatic pilot and just coast lose the intensity and the earnestness, or we can give in to sinful depression and unbelief and just shut down. But for all the reasons and for all the hard things, there was one reason not to, and that is God. And the rest of Jeremiah 1 opens up to us what is so fundamentally important, not only in Jeremiah's life, but in our life and for anybody that will be in the ministry. And that is a vision of the glory of God. It just opens up to us point after point about the wonders of God. And I really believe that when we read of the perseverance of Jeremiah, we are reading more of the perseverance of God and of the amazing God that we serve and that we have. Jeremiah has got a number of things laid open for him about the character of God that was able to see him through. Maybe a couple while we have opportunity this morning. Notice in verse 5 as he lays out and begins to lay out this vision of God speaks about his sovereignty. Before I formed you in the womb I knew you. Before you were born I sanctified you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. See, he's sovereign over the nations. But what's amazing here is he's sovereign over this individual, this private person, Jeremiah. He is sovereign over this one man. And I know that there are uniquenesses about Jeremiah's place in redemptive history, and there are things that he was called to do that we are not called to do. But we've got a lot in common with him when it comes to our election when it comes to our call, before verse five was about abortion, it was about the call to the ministry. It was about a God who created individuals with a certain job in mind and put within those individuals certain gifts, set out a destiny and a purpose for them. And by doing that, made Jeremiah and us, too, part of something greater than ourselves. By definition, we don't have a purpose. We don't have an identity apart from our relationship to God. He defines everything about us, and when He put His hand upon us and called us into the work to which He called us, He co-opted us. And it's a wonderful, amazing encouragement to recall his personal sovereignty over our individual lives. Those verbs there in verse 5 describe a great deal about God's work. And by doing that, he defines something about Jeremiah and something about us. And if you let me personalize these things, and you can say amen to those personalizations. They are powerful verbs. It's like God would say to us Jeremiah is not the only one that I formed. He's not the only one that I knew. He's not the only one that I sanctified and appointed. And our perseverance stands upon this kind of sovereign God. What it means is, individually, I'm not an accident, I am formed. I am designed. I am planned. The product of the creative mind and the creative Word of God. And every time I get tempted to complain, Lord, why didn't You make me smarter? Why didn't You make me stronger? This could have been a little bit easier. Remember, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why have you made it thus? No. I remember what Paul told the Corinthians God has set the members in the body as He pleased. And He distributes to each according to His will. And there is a God that is sovereign over the way that we are put together, over our gifts. And it means here as well, when He says, I knew you, it means that I am not a mystery. There's a beautiful promise in Psalm 103 that says, The Lord remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. But He remembers it with more than just an intellect. He remembers it with this covenant love and this holy compassion that embraces all that He is. He remembers us. He knows us in the sense that we are beloved and chosen by His design, not by our virtues and not by our beauty, not by our potential but by his design. And when he told Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you. There's something in our experience that echoes some of that as well. I am not my own. I am set apart by God, for God, his unique possession. The one and only purpose for our existence is God himself. We will find life no place else. Lastly says I have ordained or appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Which means that I am not self-appointed. I am ordained. See, regardless of how you want to qualify and nuance this whole idea of our individual call to the ministry, we're enough of Calvinists to say amen with Paul when he said, Take heed to yourself and to the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you ministers, made you overseers. I remember personally at my own ordination, my uncle, who had been a Baptist pastor for over fifty years, he picked John fifteen, sixteen. As the text, and he looked at me and he said, "In the words of Jesus, "You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you to go and bear forth fruit and bring forth fruit." That is a powerful motivation to perseverance. with this kind of a God who is sovereign and who is involved Jeremiah's story is really the story of God unfolding in His plan of redemption. And our life and our history is really the unfolding of God's plan and purpose in our day for His redemptive program. This is our God. He is sovereign over who we are and what we are and why we are and where we are. Sovereign over our birth and over our destiny. Sovereign over the tests and the trials and the difficulties of our situation. Sovereign over our littleness and our inadequacy and our insufficiency. Sovereign over the flock that he created for us to minister in. Sovereign enough that if he wanted to send somebody better, he could have. But in our dealings with God, it's never good enough to know that He's sovereign in order to persevere. We've got to know that He's good. Not just a sovereign God, but a good God. And here, among a whole lot of things that could be said, verse 12 seems to put its finger on something of that goodness. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, He showed him a vision. He said, for I am ready to perform My Word. I am watching over My Word to perform it. And he speaks of his own personal faithfulness as the demonstration of his goodness. He stands guard over his word. He binds his sovereignty to what he has said and what he has intended to be written down for us. He cannot lie with his word. He cannot fail and he cannot forget. In fact, that's what verse 3 is about about the captivity of Jerusalem, that was nothing more than the faithfulness of God to his covenant promise. That if they went that path, this would be what would happen to them. And so even for Jeremiah, in the hard parts about his ministry, every place he looked, he saw evidence that God kept his word. That God would not fail and would not falter. And Jeremiah's perseverance really is to the glory of God's faithfulness Because one of the things that God just doesn't seem to be good at is giving up. He doesn't give up on His Word and He doesn't give up on His servant. Even when Jeremiah wanted to give up. When that day came and he cursed the day that he was born. Or when he wanted to keep the Word on the inside. Wanted to back out and quit. But God didn't give up on him. Instead, God gave to him great and precious promises. Some of them we can see evidence for here. God promised first to equip Jeremiah, whom he called. He told him in verse 9, The Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. There's his message. God gave him what he needed that way. But what's especially encouraging to me is something like verse 18. Amen. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, against all the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. God equipped him with enough strength to do what he had to do and to fight the battles that he had to fight. One of my favorite verses in the ministry is actually out of Ezekiel. It's very similar to this. Ezekiel chapter 3, God tells Ezekiel, I've made your foreheads strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint. I've made your forehead remind you of Bobo Brazil. Boom, out they go. Some of you are too young to remember Bobo Brazil. Anyway, we can be grateful that God can make our forehead strong. Iron pillars like our, like our strength needs to be. Legs. And point is, God has promised... That no matter how weak and wavering Jeremiah may be in himself, God is not making demands on Jeremiah. God is making promises to Jeremiah. And the issue revolves around the greatness of God's power and His faithfulness to His Word to give strength. And how many times have we been able to say amen to it? His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. But God also promised him as well. Things like verse 8. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you. In fact, that was so profound, he said it twice. Verse 19. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. He promises his presence with us. Moses laid that down as the non-negotiable to all of his work. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And if we've got the presence of the Lord with us, even in the midst of our hard times and our difficulties and with every reason for us to quit, if his presence is with us, where else would we rather be? psalmist said, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I remember when I first began to preach many, many years ago, I would quote Isaiah 41.10 over and over and over again. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And the Lord has told us in the ministry of the gospel, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. And his personal presence in the personal lives of his ministers is a great reason to persevere. But it's not just his presence. It's his presence to deliver. He's promised to deliver. And that's what keeps hope alive when it seems like there are good reasons for us to fold. I remember when I was in seminary hearing an old man preach. I don't know if you know the name Howard Sugden. Probably some of you do. Marvelous old guy back in those days. He looked at us in chapel one day and he said, he was preaching on Jesus walking on the water. You know, he came in the fourth watch of the night. You know, last bit. After they had struggled all night long. He said, Gentlemen, you must learn the slowness of God. Because he doesn't come when we want him to or when we expect him to or when our timetable says he should. But the promise is, I am with you to deliver you. And that promise of deliverance is enough to keep us persevering. It's the hope that gives us patience. It's the truth that makes it all possible. And that's why our perseverance is by His grace and for His glory and to the honor of the God who is faithful to His Word. So He's sovereign and He's faithful to His Word and true. I suppose that there are some creatures out there who would look at things like that and say, well, because God is what He is and He has promised to do all these things for His people, the most logical thing for us to do is to go passive and get out of His way and just go limp God also wrote verse 17. Because he is what he is and promises what he promises, therefore prepare yourself and arise. Speak to them all that I command you. Don't be dismayed before them. In other words, because of his greatness and because of his faithfulness, there is plenty of opportunity for personal responsibility and to bend every effort. We need the vision of God to do that. This week, Lord willing, we will hear much about the means of grace. About means that keeps the vision of God alive with us. Means to renew our strength of perseverance. Trust this whole week with all of its fellowship and with all of its prayer. With all the preaching of the word of God. will accomplish just that. Let's pray. Well, no. Yeah, let's pray together and then we'll open it up for prayer. Okay, Father, take this truth to us. Remind us of who you are and what you are. And we thank you beyond words for the privilege that you have put upon us to be picked up and put into your program. In Jesus' name, amen.